Welcome to Loop Me In, the podcast community for parents and carers on raising children with disabilities. Join presenters Dr. Lisa Interlegi and Christine Christopoulos and their guests in sharing experiences, information and support ideas to help children with disabilities flourish. Loop Me In is brought to you weekly on platforms like Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Stitcher to name a few. You can learn more, connect to the Loop Me In community and listen to more episodes on our website, loop-me-in.com.au. Welcome to another podcast with Loop Me In. Today we have Patricia McKenzie, mother of three, director of AGL Energy and many chair positions. Patricia, I might let you tell us all the different things you do through our podcast, but welcome to our podcast. Thank you, Chris. Delightful to be here. So tell us a little bit about you firstly. Okay. So as you said, I'm a, a mother of three and Kate was my first child. Kate has Down syndrome. She's 34 now. She has a sister, Sarah, who's three years younger than her and a, a brother, Tom, who is five years younger than her. So of course, throughout the years, I've had um, some interesting experiences trying to juggle motherhood and a career and there have been times when I've I've actually needed to walk away from my career in order to look after my children. Tom had leukaemia as well as as Kate's Down syndrome and uh, and she had holes in her heart which required surgery when she was a baby. It's been an interesting experience to to put together a career and, and motherhood but I've enjoyed both of those. Both have had their individual challenges and I think they informed each other in many ways in how to handle those challenges and, and how to move forward and how to enjoy the good times. Tell us about how that's helped you as a senior person. I know you've been a CEO in your life and you've you're, um, been a chair of the New South Wales Ports and you're chair of the desalination plant in Sydney. Tell us how your experience has informed you as a, as a senior executive and a director of um, company boards. And my experiences as a mother of a person with a disability. Yeah. I don't think I was ever known for my patience. And what I found with Kate was that patience was the key. Mm -hmm. And my other children would say to me, you never yell at her, you yell at us. And I'd say, well, if I yell at Kate, she hears the tone of my voice and nothing else. So I have to be patient. I have to explain things in a way that I know she'll understand. And that's an interesting thing when you take it through into the corporate world. If, you, if you're going to yell at people, if you're going to um, demonstrate with people in a way that they can't accept it, then you lose. So that was one of the things I took through. And I think the other big lesson was resilience. I found that, you know, there were many times with Kate where I where we thought we were going really well and then something would occur and I'd feel like my world had come crashing down again. But I learned that I had enough resilience to pick myself up, pick her up and find another route. And so when it came to my co- corporate career, I'd planned that that climb up the corporate ladder. That wasn't to happen. I had Kate, later I had Tom. And so I found within myself the ability to come back from from whatever occurred to find a different route to the end goal. And so I find myself now with a director career, which um, I probably never thought I would have been able to have once I'd had Kate, and yet I'm there now through a different route, but 
nonetheless, I've got to the place I want to be. And so I think they've been the real lessons and the real assistance that it's given me to learn from Kate to move into that world, that corporate world. And I guess that's what it's like when you have a disabled child, isn't that the first few years of where do we go from here is because there's no, you you know, it's a different pathway with raising a child with a disability. And we can say today that Kate has Down syndrome and, you know, it's it's very different. You don't get a manual to say, hey, this is what, you, you know, they don't go to the, they go to a different school that you probably wanted them to go to. Tell us a little bit about Kate's early years. Yeah, so when Kate was born, uh, I guess like everybody else, I just assumed, you know, I'd have a, um, a normal pregnancy, I'd uh, have a, a baby without any issues and uh, I'd take it all in my stride because there I was, you know, head of a, a head of the corporate law department of a major listed company and I'd be fine and we'd all be great didn't quite work out that way and so firstly I had to come to terms with the fact that Kate had a very serious disability and she also had holes in her heart so at five months old her heart started to fail and she needed major surgery so that first that first year was testing while I changed my view of of motherhood and what that would mean for me moving forward and while I tried to get my head around what it meant for Kate to have a a significant disability in her life. And at the time I thought, well, okay, fine. She's going to be the best person with Down syndrome you've ever seen. She'll be up there. She'll be fantastic. And I'll do everything I have to do to make that happen. As it turns out, Kate didn't quite have that capacity within her. And as we went through, as she moved through her life, and we found that, no, she wasn't going to learn to read or write, that um, at, at one point it didn't look like she'd walk, but with massive amount of physiotherapy in the early years, we got her there, but she's no great. I mean, she's not going to run the marathon tomorrow. We found that we had to rejoice in the things that she could do and we had to change our expectations. And she wasn't going to be one of the highest performing people with Down syndrome you've ever seen. She's probably at the other end of that spectrum. But she's an extraordinary young woman and I'm so proud of what she's achieved throughout her life with what she was given, which wasn't a whole lot. Mm. It is you adjusting your own expectations. Yeah. And and in some ways your own ego around being a parent. And I think, you know, that's the same for fathers or, you know, no matter, you know, who you are in in, uh, that parental relationship and then to accept people for their difference and the you know and and what they bring and uh, I certainly know that you know Louis brings us joy beyond and also similar to you Patricia I was not known for my tolerance of you know of things I you know had a very short tolerance but I have turned out to be actually a very tolerant person and, and very patient with people and um, particularly with Louis. And so that's a great gift that he's given me. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? People have said to me um, when they've seen me working with Kate, oh, my God, you've got so much patience with her. And I think, hmm, I bet my other two kids don't think that. (laughs) But, yes, you you have to work with people in the way that that works best for them. So, yeah, I've, I've developed patience. And talking about your other two children, how has it been for them along the journey of having, because both Lisa and I have children, other children, I have two myself, what was their journey like growing up with a sister with Down syndrome? 
I think they both always just accepted Kate. She was there when they arrived, so she was there first. Um, So she'd staked out her territory. And they are wonderful with her and really have been throughout their lives. They've they've always, as they got older and could see that she couldn't do things, they'd do things for her, help her. They adore her. And as as she got older, I used to think, well, as you do, you know, well, what's going to happen to Kate when I can't look after her? But I always knew that Sarah and Tom would would always make sure she had a happy life. Mm. Whatever I ask of them in relation to Kate, they'll do. So when I got COVID earlier this year, as you do, as everybody does, every second person at the moment, both of them called and said immediately, okay, I'll take her. Send her home to me. I'll look after her until you're well. And so she went and stayed with her sister. And she had, Kate had been exposed to me, so she was taking a risk of, of uh, Kate getting COVID. But that's exactly what I would expect. I know I don't have to ask of them. I know they will just always act in her best interests. And really, you know, they, they grew up with people with disabilities around them. Mm. So every year Kate would have a big birthday party. You know, it was the hottest ticket at her school to get an invite to her birthday parties. <laughs> Because she she's planned them for you know six months. <laughs> we just kind of finish one, start the next. <laughs> and her brother and sister uh, were wonderful with all of her friends as well, and would would get into that party and get everybody up dancing or you know onto the trampoline or whatever it was we were doing. So I, I I've always felt that they they just had a natural acceptance. Hmm. I think we're the same, Chris, isn't it? Like your yeah. um, parties for Matthew is the hottest ticket in town, I think. <laughs> Yeah, uh, pretty special. Everybody um, dances regardless of disability, ability, whether they're good dancers or bad dancers, doesn't really matter. No, and people used to say to me, oh, you're so brave having a party for, you know, 20 kids with a disability. And I'd say, compared to 27-year-old boys, oh, my God, these kids are so easy. When you say line up to, you know, go to the piñata, they line up because they were used to being uh, you had to do what you had to do. You know, they followed instructions. Seven-year-old boys would just look at you and go, "Yeah, right, lady," and off they go. <laughs> so I, I found her parties were were an absolute joy to run. And how difficult was it, Patricia, working? I would imagine a lot of hours, and then also trying to find things for. Kate to do because it's not as easy as sending them to a school and knowing they're getting that education. There's there's so many therapists you have to see to get them to where they are. Yeah, uh, before she went to school, there was a lot of running around from one therapist to another. And I can remember when my second child uh, was born, Kate's speech therapist was up two flights of stairs and neither of them walked. So I'm running up and down stairs, carrying children up and down. What a nightmare. But I think you just need to do what you need to do. You you think, well, okay, she's if she's going to speak, she needs therapy, so you just got to fit it in. And, you know, I think it's a it's also a question of ask a busy person. Once she got to school, I was always, you know, running programs and chair of the PNC and and all those things because I wanted it to be as good as it could be for her. And she started off in a class in a in one of the local schools. Unfortunately, when Tom got leukaemia and we had two years of treatment, bone marrow transplant and a whole lot, the wheels fell off for her. She couldn't understand at all why mum wasn't there all the time. 
And so, you know, she would she would express it sometimes by biting me or hitting me because she was so frustrated. And so we thought she's not going to get enough emotional support. So we moved her to a special school. And once we were past that, um, I said to her, would you like to go back to your old school? And she said, oh, no, this is my school. And she felt she was a star at that mm-hmm. school. You know, she was she would sing in the concerts and and when she got into her last couple of years, she decided she wanted to be school captain. And so off she went and, and became, and she she was vice captain for she to, she practiced, she wrote speeches. Like she'd actually say to me, talk about the speech, and we then we walk work through what she wanted to say. So she was vice captain and then she was captain. And it gave her huge self-esteem. So I think, you know, to go back to the question, how did I manage it? I managed, I managed it and I fitted in all of those other roles around her as well because I could see the outcomes. Mm. Ask a busy person, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It sounds like she takes after her mum though, <laughs> wanting to lobbying and writing speeches to be captain. Isn't it hilarious? Yeah. She's um she um yeah, she she really wanted it. And the teachers were astounded at how much she she wanted that role and she fought for it. And when she got it, she would say to me, oh, have to be a role model, have to be a role model, mum, for the little kids. So she had her concept of what it meant to be that school captain as well. Yeah, it's fantastic. What a sweetheart. Oh, she is. She's she's an absolute delight. Tell us where she is at the moment. I believe she has a boyfriend. Well, I think Kate's living her best life. She lives independently with her her friend Rob. So Kate and Rob have known each other since they were toddlers. So they they kind of feel like they're more brother and sister. They love each other to death. And so when they got to 25, I was we were thinking, well, what are we going to do um, about the future for Kate? And um, a new program opened up in in the New South Wales government, which was called Supported Living Accommodation, SLA. We thought we'd give it a try and see if perhaps she could live independently, maybe just a couple of nights a week. We applied for it and we we got the funding for Kate and Rob, so with with Rob's family as well, for Kate and Rob to trial this. So they started out two nights a week. Um, We had an apartment in Chatsworth. We adopted a co-tenancy model, and that's a model where a person who's not disabled lives with them. She is a companion. She's not a carer. She has the obligation that we have of her is that she needs to be there overnight when they're there. So if anything goes wrong in the middle of the night, they don't have the intellectual capacity to deal with a, a problem. What they can do is they deal very well with routine but they don't deal well with problems. So we have someone who lives with them who's there overnight. So we set this up. We brought in the housing connection to support them. And this was all prior to the person-centred nature of NDIS. So finding service providers who actually would allow you to, to tell them what you needed rather than being told, here's what we offer, was a real challenge at the time. But we, we, we found the Housing Connection who'd been sensational and they supported them into this arrangement. And so they started off a couple of nights a week and as time went on, they asked to have extra time in the flat and now Kate's there six nights a week. She comes home on Sunday nights to hang out with the family, but she's just having a wonderful time. Robbie loves it. In fact, you know, it's got to the point <laughs> Rob was having an argument with his family and 
Um, and he said, oh, I'd go back to the flat. <laughs> he was like, oh, I've had enough of you, Lon, I'm going back to my place. So that, that has worked out to be fantastic. And they um, they both work in a, um, a disability enterprise by choice. They, they choose to work there. They've enjoyed it. They enjoy it. They've been there for 16 years. They have social clubs, um, which they go to Friday nights and Saturdays for outings. They love musical theatre and they love music. They go to lots of musical theatre and lots of um, concerts. They're very well known in the area. So they, um, for example, they they go to brunch every Sunday morning, which is their a big treat for them. And when they when they started that, we thought, oh, nobody will understand them because their language isn't isn't great. So we made up little cards with you know various options: avocado on toast, you know, bacon and eggs. Within weeks, the, the staff got to know them, and so I turned up one morning um, unexpectedly, and the staff said, "Oh, hi, Kate. Hi, Rob. What would you like today?" Kate said, "Oh, bacon and eggs, uh, caramel milkshake." They go, "Oh, fine." So there was no need whatsoever. No need. And in fact, it was Rob's birthday on on a Sunday when they go to brunch, and the staff brought out none of us were there. This is just Kate, Rob, and, and their support person. They brought out a cake and sang happy birthday to him. And I thought, oh my God, that that's really been part of the community, isn't it? So they they have a wonderful time doing that. They um, they plan holidays, and off they go on holidays with a support person. The first one we planned it to within an inch of its life. Now Kate tells me the other day, oh, we're planning planning a trip to the Gold Coast. So she and Rob and, and the support people are planning this next trip. And quite honestly, if I book the airfares, that'll be about all I'll do. <laughs> so. It's an amazing place they're at in their life where they have lots of friends. They invite their friends around for, for parties. It's party central over at Chatsworth. <laughs> we're always having parties. They invite a couple of friends around for that and um, they, they're just having a, a fantastic time and they're, they're just so happy and I'm so thrilled that we got them there. They, they now have SIL funding through NDIS, which is really sufficient to support them in that, that lifestyle and couldn't be happier. The thing is it's sustainable because it works without me. Mm. That's it, yeah, and it's such a lovely story, isn't it, that not only are they living and, you know, being independent, they're actually having a ball being independent. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. And, uh, you know, I I took them home after some outing we'd been to one night and I said, okay, guys, well, you know, go through your usual routine before you go to bed and boom off they went they they knew exactly what they were doing they got their lunch ready for the next day they both had a yogurt they got themselves all sorted and um Kate said okay well see you mum mm-hmm. <laughs> you can go <laughs> I thought wow how good is that now you know it's not entirely true to say it all works without us uh, uh, Dara and I do a lot of work to make sure that this runs smoothly but it is sustainable and we're starting to devolve more and more of the support to to the housing connection so now Kate's medical appointments her standard medical appointments she goes with a support person rather than me take her Um, all those sorts of things her hair so I used to always bring her back and get a haircut with me now she goes with the support people consequently she has pink hair and it goes into an afro every now and again, but she likes it and she's happy and I figure it's her hair, it's her life, so let her make that choice. So all those sorts of things we've started to devolve to make it more and more sustainable that um, as time goes on there's less input needed from the family. And I think also the important thing for that is for 
her siblings to see that their role will be like yours, but yes. in terms of you, they'll always have to be there, but at the same time they don't have to take her in and look after her full-time either and make those right. big decisions. No, she she absolutely has her life and she chooses how that works. They interview staff who are going to work with them and, and decide whether they like those people and they've got their series of questions they ask like, do you like music? Yeah. They like to dance, so they want to have dance parties and so they've got their series of questions. So, so they're ch- making the choices to the extent that they're capable of doing that. That's what's really important. Whereas, you know, if they had to move in with one of their siblings, then those choices become much more limited. Mm-hmm. So they're getting to, to choose their lifestyle and her siblings get to live their lives as well. So everybody's able to make their own choices in life, which is, you know, it's kind of nirvana. The, I should tell you this great story. Her birthday was in um, in May and I was interstate on um, business. And um, so I'd said to, to the support people, look, why don't you, you know, go out for dinner? I'll pay for it, take her out for dinner. Um, and so they sent me photos and there she was standing in front of what would have been 20, 25 birthday cards. <laughs> and waving and there were photos of her at dinner and she'd invited some friends their flatmate Sandy went with them because she joins in all those things and she invites them to her birthday parties and you know it's just a beautiful family relationship and she was having the best time someone had ordered a birthday cake which said happy birthday Kate and I thought wow you've you've actually formed your own family there's a a real sense of of true caring between these group of people. And even though the carers change from time to time and the the co-tenant, the flatmate changes from time to time, that sense of family continues. And it's it's kind of nirvana, isn't it? It's what we all want for our kids because you think, well, who's going to love my child the way I love her? But it's not the same, but it's so lovely and supportive. I got these photos, honestly, I was teary. It was just so beautiful to say. And I thought, wow, we've, you know, right now this is just working so well. Oh, yeah, you have to accept that it may not be always that the case. <laughs> and and yeah, t- things will change and we'll just have to work with that. But right now it's the best thing we could have done for her. Yeah, well, that's something the nirvana we're looking for, isn't it, Chris? We're um we're in the same situation going, okay, well, this is not, you know, we need to find a solution going forward for our sons and how's that going to work. So, um, you know, having these stories is really important, Patricia. We really appreciate it. Yeah, and look, it's not the only model in the world. There are Mm. different people have different things that work for them. Some some people I've spoken to like living on their own. They They don't want to have anybody else with them. Kate and Rob were never going to be able to manage that. They really do need to have quite a lot of support around them. So so this was a model that worked for us. And when we looked at it initially, there was no chance of a group home. That certainly was off the cards for anybody who was 25 and, and you know, fairly um, reasonable health. So that wasn't going to happen. So we had to come up with something different that would work. And this is the model that has, has absolutely worked for them. We thought we were going to have lots of trouble finding people who would want to live with them. Mm. And that hasn't been the case. We've, um, you know, most people have stayed for maybe a year some two years a current person's been with us coming up to six years wow and she's just quite amazing she's she's stunning she's a wonderful woman 
And so we've lucked out big time with this person. But the guys got used to having a different tenant coming and going and and they and they quite enjoyed it after a while. You know, and we'd say, well, so-and-so is leaving. They go, okay, who's next? <laughs> so it became, yeah, well, that's fine. We've, we've, we've really enjoyed meeting all these people, so it'll be all right. We can live with someone new. Um, so, and look, I think the the message really is um, there'll be a model that'll work for for everybody. It won't be the same, and there'll be different things that fit around it. I mean, Kate and Rob don't like sport much, but there are all sorts of opportunities in sport if that's what you want to do. They did go along to they they went along to um, Special Olympics bowling for a few years, but COVID came along and. Then, of course, they got out of the habit, so we couldn't convince them to go back. But, you know, if it's sport, uh, depends on what your interest is. There, there are all sorts of ways of getting our guys involved in things and finding an accommodation model that supports that choice for them. Thank you so much. We really appreciate you taking out this time out of your really busy schedule and, um, <laughs> and telling us about your story. Oh, it was a great pleasure and I, I do hope that it helps others to feel confident that that there is a pathway towards independent living to the extent that it's possible and that that can end up in your child living their best life in, in the same sort of way as, as Kate is now. Thank you, Patricia. Thanks, Patricia. It's been so awesome. Thank you. Great pleasure. Thanks for being part of the Loop Me In community today and joining our conversation on raising children with disabilities. Join us for the next episode on some of your favourite platforms like Spotify and Apple Podcasts. If you would like to support us, please recommend the Loop Me In podcast to your network of parents, carers and providers. If you would like us to cover a topic or invite a guest to chat, please email us at contact at loop-in.com.au or go to our website at loop-me-in.com.au. If you've got any feedback, please let us know so we can improve and cover issues you want. And of course, if anything in the podcast today has raised concerns for you, you can contact Beyond Blue on 1300 224636 or Lifeline on 131114.